Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. quickly got a reply back from our pastor. Mary Magdalene's already taken. He didn't say it, but it was taken by his bestie. If y'all were here last week, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so I said, okay, then I'm going to go with Nicodemus. And fun fact, as I was doing a little bit of research, it is very fitting that I went with Nicodemus because he and I, our names come from the exact same Greek origin. So it is victory of the people. So I'm going to talk about Nicodemus um, this morning. And I went with him, and even though there's not a lot of reference in Scripture, it's really interesting to see how much that we, like Nicodemus, are so certain in what we have learned with our heads that it becomes difficult to discern with our hearts what God is doing. Um, Megan, that song you sang, um, Head from the Heart, from the head to the heart, you take me on a journey of letting go and getting lost in you. And that is, at its core, a lot of what this sermon is about. And I want us to look at it. I'm going to say kind of the thesis again for us is that we, like Nicodemus, are so certain of all that we've learned with our heads that it becomes difficult to discern what God is trying to do in our hearts. I'm going to pray first. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word and I never take it lightly, and I hope that my family here, my church family, my brothers and sisters all know how grateful I am to be able to bring your word to them and to illuminate different parts of your scripture, God. I ask you that this morning that the words that I say are the words that need to be heard. The words that I say not only come from my heart, And from what I've learned and studied, but come from your throne and reach and the people hear exactly what they need to hear this morning. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. So, I don't know about you, but I really appreciate certainty in life. Whenever I feel uncertain about things, um... I can get a little bit anxious. Does anyone like certainty? I know we've got some Enneagram 5s in here. You should probably stand up instead of just raise your hand. You like to understand things and kind of get in there and understand and have a certain part of whatever you're doing. But really, we as individuals, certainty is built into who we are. That is part of our biology, the way our brain works. For instance, certainty is walking. You take one step and your brain is certain this next step is going to take me, okay, this next step. I'm certain. We're seeing these habits and they're created and we have certainty. And then suddenly we trip or there's a, a, a little cobblestone loose. And has anyone done that? And they like look around like, who did that? Like, that wasn't supposed to happen. I was so certain I know how to walk. What happened here? And we seek out those certainties in life. And Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I want to know. 
I want to know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because we all want to know what's next in our life. We want to know if we're on the right track. And oftentimes we spend our life looking to understand things beyond us. But the truth is, there is a lot of power in admitting, I don't know. There's a lot of power in being able to say, I don't know. And that's something Nicodemus wasn't really that great at doing. If we back up just a little bit in Scripture, Um, to the end of John 2. Now, you have to remember, our Bible has chapters, verses, and everything like that. That's not how Scripture was originally written. It was just all one book. But if you back up, I'm going to be focusing on John chapter 3 today. If you back up to the end of John chapter 2, Jesus is um, basically, he's been at Passover. He's been doing all these miracles. He's actually told his his disciples, don't tell people who I am yet. Like, don't, don't let the cat out of the bag. Let it happen naturally. And at, at the end of John 2, Jesus says, it says, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. And many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then it goes directly into the story about Nicodemus. See, Jesus knows us. He knows our motives. He knows our thoughts. He knows our uncertainties. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But Nicodemus had a problem because he shows up thinking he knows Jesus. He walks in the room and says to Jesus, we know who you are. He was so certain that he was right, and that's where the problem was. So scripture really gives only a very small peek at who Nicodemus was. I think out of everyone um, in this teaching series, I have the smallest amount of scripture to go from. So I will say this, though. I was telling someone last night, I do get John 3.16. So, you know, I made a joke. I was like, I'm just going to walk up there and just quote John 3.16, and I'd be like, all right, God bless y'all. Have a good one. <laughs> but we, we have a couple places. There's actually uh, three places in scripture, all in the book of John, that give us a glimpse to piece together what would be a very complex spiritual development that Nicodemus goes through. So a little background on who Nicodemus was. Today we often use the word Pharisee as a way of like turning our nose up at a situation or someone who's arrogant and things like that. But in the time of Jesus, a Pharisee was elite. It was someone that if you had a son having a prayer for him to end up being a Pharisee, that's like saying, I want my son to be a doctor, I want him to be a politician, I want him to be, you know, all of these different things back then. And Nicodemus was not just a Pharisee. See, each city had Pharisees, a group of Pharisees, but then in Jerusalem there was what was called the Sanhedrin. And It started, Moses actually created the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. 
whenever they were in the wilderness, whenever the children of Israel were going buck wild, and he was like, we got to put some rules in place. We need some people. You know, it came from a good place. And the Sanhedrin had a total of 71 men. And they were basically like the Supreme Court of that time. And honestly, they were moral high horse riders. And that is who we meet when we meet Nicodemus. He was, and as Jesus says later down in the scripture I'll read, he was like the teacher of the teachers. So we can infer that he was not only part of, he was not only a Pharisee, which is special. He was part of an elite group called the Sanhedrin. But then he was probably even higher up in the ranks of the Sanhedrin. So he was a big deal, a very big deal. And in the three places in the Bible um, that he's talked about, there's been some, some weird theology that people have kind of just inferred over the years that's really incorrect. Um, we're going to focus on one place, which is his night meeting with Jesus, which is what most of us know about in chapter 3. And it's at night, not necessarily because of fear or hiding. That's what a lot of us have learned over the years. He, wanted, he didn't want anybody to see him or anything like that. There's no evidence at all in Scripture that that's the reason. Perhaps it was timing. He didn't want to have to compete against all the crowds that were around Jesus. He's a busy fella. There's this show that's amazing. If you haven't watched it, it's called The Chosen. And basically the reason why Nicodemus had to go see Jesus at night is because he was too busy. Nicodemus had too much going on in the day. So he said, I need to set up this meeting with this man at night because it's I got a full schedule. And, and so... There's a lot of possible reasons as to why he went at night, but cowardice is not one of them. The two other places in Scripture, which I'll touch on a little bit later, um, shows zero fear. Zero fear. So in the book of John, where we're going to focus, if you're familiar with the book of John, he is so rich in words and images, and he really features Jesus a Jesus that loves to talk and a Jesus that loves to teach and preach and gives us one of the most famous Bible passages that I mentioned, John 3.16. Yet whenever we really look at the context of that passage, it comes in line with a lot of um, really well-known visual images. For instance, uh, the image of being born again. The image of the spirit and the wind. It's blowing where it chooses. The image of a son of man being lifted up just as Moses was lifted up. The serpent. And finally, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But St. Augustine made a point to, in some writings about Nicodemus, made a point to highlight that the darkness may have been more representative of where Nicodemus was in his life. He was in the dark about the fact that the Messiah was on earth and walking amongst the people. St. Augustine says, He came to the Lord and he came by night. He came to the light by the darkness. So this morning, as I read this scripture, I want us to try to use our divine imagination. Take a moment and let's just throw out all the familiar words and famous Bible verses out of our minds, the story we think we know. And I'd appreciate if you just kind of close your eyes. If you'll lower the lights a little bit for me, guys, that'd be great. And I'm going to read 
a little bit of an imaginative version of the scripture. It's the dead of night. Dim lamps burn here and there among stone walls and buildings. And there's a lone figure, cloaked in darkness as he makes his way down quiet streets and alleys. The cicadas and crickets are chirping in the hot, dry air. And finally, the lone figure finds who he is looking for. Jesus appears in the darkness, standing among the trees in the garden. Now, this is John 3, 1 through 21. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus replied, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's room and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I say to you, but you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't even know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, aren't you supposed to be the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I be how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended unto heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he is not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. See, the light has come into the world, but the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And that's the word of the Lord. Everyone say amen. So Nic Nicodemus, I almost said Nicole, <laughs> Nicodemus comes to Jesus with all of these statements. He rolls up in there and he's so certain. And he, he says, I know who you are. We get it. We know you're from God, but I need a little more explanation. And honestly, Jesus just brushes off his, his statement and his question and just starts preaching to the man. It's such a different way if you look at how Jesus interacted with the woman at the well. He was soft. He was kind. He was gentle towards her. He said, I do not condemn you, all of this stuff, because she was a very different type of person than Nicodemus. Whenever he comes to Nicodemus, he's like, listen, 
listen, you need to get an understanding. I mean, you're supposed to be a teacher. How are you not recognizing that I am basically fulfilling all of these, these prophecies that you've studied your whole entire life? And he says, you need to wake up. But Nicodemus is a brilliant, respected, revered, wise man. And he's very, very, very moralistic. It's the type of person that we would imagine would get it, whatever it is. And whenever someone is so smart and so wise and so respected, let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to help convince them of things that they don't know. But as I mentioned whenever I started, there is a lot of power in admitting, I don't know. So as Jesus and Nicodemus are having these conversations, basically Jesus looked at him and told him everything opposite of what Nicodemus thought. He said, dude, you're dead wrong. He said, works aren't going to do it. Being religious isn't going to cut it. Because Nicodemus was just religious in all the wrong ways. Um, but, you know, he literally, in that time, and even now, you've probably seen them, they wear the word of God on their hand, the, the Torah. They'll wrap it around their hand. They'll wear it on their forehead. They think that going through life like that, being the, the moralistic high horse, the more works that they can do in life, the better they can be is what's going to help them enter into the kingdom of God. But that doesn't cut it. And he nearly missed what was right in front of him because he couldn't wrap his head around it. He had so many questions. So Nicodemus walks in and he says, we know you are from God. To me, I can just imagine him walking in, and I'm taking a little bit of dramatic liberty here, but that's okay. Um, I can imagine him walking in and just being like, okay, Jesus, we know who you are. We know what you've been doing. We respect it. We know, we know, we know, we already know. You don't have to tell me. We know you're from God, okay? But there's still some questions we have because we're a little bit uncomfortable with some of the stuff that, that's going on. We all know he was so sure of himself. He was so secure in his certainties whenever he showed up. Honestly, I think he was just seeking out Jesus to have honest and real questions. Because Nicodemus, something within him, realizes that there's more. And he wants to know who Jesus is and what it means for him. See, even though Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin and this well-respected man, he's a man. He has doubts. He's seeing things he's never seen before. And he goes to Jesus trying to figure it out, trying to wrap his head around everything that he's learned, all of his knowledge, all of his wisdom, all of his education, trying to see and justify, could it be? Could it actually be that this man is the one we've been looking for? He wants to know if Jesus is the real thing. 
Nicodemus wants certainty. There's that word again, certainty. And we all want certainty in our life. Listen, I get it. Sometimes in the middle of situations, it's uh, the, the phrase they say is, you know, it's sometimes hard to see the forest for the trees. And I think that's so true. That's so, so true. But if we are in the dark in a situation, metaphorically, literally, anything like that, it's even harder to see what we're looking for. And I don't know about you, but I've had dark times in my life. I've definitely been going through some dark times in my life the past few months. But as I was studying and seeking scripture and thinking about past sermons I've heard, it dawned on me that the Lord has done some amazing things in the darkness. You better be careful if you ask God to do something new in your life because often he'll do something new and birth something new in your life when you're in a night season, whenever you're in a dark time of life. And new things, if you really think about it, are often done at night. You know, he uses the reference about being born again, a child being born again. A baby is created in darkness, under veil of darkness. And then they're in a womb, and they're in darkness. And it's not until the mother pushes and labors and pain and, and sweat and blood and tears and all kind of different bodily fluids that that baby enters into light. But in that moment, that baby is born and is able to look at the light in a new way. But before that, all it had was a reference of its womb. And the womb is dark and I think all of us, in some way or another, have a womb. We started in a womb, but throughout life, we create our own womb. We create a world of our own beliefs. We create a whole system that we live in that we are so certain of and, and feel so good about. You know, some of y'all may not remember. I definitely remember because I, I was part of the the yearbook photography committee in middle school, but there was a time that uh, you would take your film to a store, and nowadays we can get them so quickly, but with real film cameras, and you would have to wait, because what would they do? They'd take your film, and they'd go to the back, and they'd go to a dark room. They'd go to a dark room, put the, the different solutions and everything to reveal what that photo was. See, God does things like we would never imagine in the dark. We can even go all the way back to Genesis, um, if you think about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The opening of John is another beautiful example. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made with God and by Him, and without Him nothing was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined into the darkness, but the darkness could not comprehend it. I think that Nicodemus, in his darkness, according to Scripture, it's a literal darkness, it's at night. He was having trouble comprehending what was going on. 
what was going on right in front of him. And I think a lot of times that we, whenever we are in dark seasons of our life, we can't comprehend it because we're trying to understand with our heads what is going on when we need to understand and feel with our hearts what Jesus is doing. Think about it. Another example, midnight at exactly 12 a.m., it's a brand new day. It's still dark outside, but it is a new beginning for a new day because God does new things at night. But it's so hard for us to, to, to allow God to work in our dark seasons. And I implore you today, and I'm preaching to myself, y'all. Y'all okay with that? In our dark times, do not despise them. We may not understand them. We may feel we have more questions than answers. But God is working. It doesn't make sense in our heads. So we must allow the Lord access to work in our hearts. A baby in the womb, all until birth. It's no wonder that the Lord Jesus used that as an example because he said it's time to be born again. And of course, this got Nicodemus all confused. Some people don't realize, they think that like they're that Nicodemus actually was like dumb or something like that. Rabbis would, would spar. That was the way they talked. They, they talked in riddles and they would ask each other questions back and forth. So that was just a form of conversation that they were having again. But after their conversation, it would appear that Nicodemus was still in the dark. The Old Testament even talks about the dark says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. Isaiah 45 and 3. God takes the children of Israel out under the veil of light, uh, of night. I'm sorry. He meets Nicodemus in the dark. Because see, if we allow him, God can use our darkness as a tool for deliverance. But too often, we get so scared and so uncertain about what the darkness might mean. In some cases, yes, darkness represents evil. And I want to say that in this this sermon, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm not saying go into the darkness, you know, anything like that. I'm talking about often how we think the lack of clarity or the lack of certainty or the lack of light as the lack of the Lord's presence. But actually, there's a good chance that he's waiting in the shadow for us. And I'll reference our, our pastor, his favorite, his favorite verse out of scripture is from Exodus twenty twenty one. The people stood far off while Moses draw near to the thick darkness where God was. So I don't want you to think whenever you're going through things that you feel uncertain about, that you have questions about, that you feel depressed about, that you feel down about. I could go on and explain things. I don't want you to think that just because things are uneasy in life does not, means that God is not there. Because I guarantee you, he is. If you are his child, if you have been born again, 
into the kingdom of heaven, he's there with you. And it's hard to see him. It's really hard to see him sometimes. Just last night, I was, not last night, night before last, I was praying. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I haven't felt you. Lord, where are you? But I know he's here. And I want to tell all of you today that even in your darkness, know that the Lord is there waiting for you. I have a little story. Um, who invented the light bulb? Does anyone know? Okay, so y'all are all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of you probably thought of Thomas Edison. That, if it, that was probably one of the first names that popped into your head, and that would be very normal to think that way. But the truth is, is that the bulb existed long before that. But it was Thomas Edison who marketed it well, made a better product, and then got the patents for it. So guess what? He gets the credit. He gets the credit for the light bulb. Um, he improved on other people's ideas, and he was able to, to bring it out to the masses. But the truth is, is he had a much bigger goal than just a light bulb. Edison had a plan to create a electrical grid framework that could bring light into homes and, and stuff like that because it was the industrial age and more and more people were asking, please help us be able to have light in our homes besides just candles because things are changing so much and many other inventors did it too. But you almost wonder what is it at that time that made people want that light so much. See, industries were growing, cities were growing at a massive, massive pace. People who used to, you know, live miles apart and felt they could leave their doors unlocked and all of that stuff were being put into these cities. And people wanted to be able to see because they wanted to be safe. Because, put quite simply, they were afraid of the dark. We don't have to be afraid of the dark whenever we are children of God. We don't have to be afraid of what we don't understand whenever we are children of God. And it seems like Nicodemus learned that this night. The back and forth between Jesus and, and Nicodemus, there were a lot of questions, conversations. They're not being rude to each other, even though it seems Jesus may have been a little snarky at one point. You know, aren't you supposed to be the teacher of teachers and you still don't quite understand what I'm saying here? But really, it's just Nicodemus showing up with all these statements. And he recognizes Jesus as rabbi. But that's where he got a little wrong. He only recognizes him as a teacher. John 3, 2 says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing without God being with him. We know. We know you're a teacher. We like what you're doing. We get it. But he was looking at Jesus as just a teacher. He was looking at Jesus as just someone who added to life. Whenever Jesus was actually the person who gives life. We can often get in trouble if we look at Jesus just as a great teacher. Because all that brings is a form of behavior modification. And that's not what salvation is about. It's so much more than that. 
That's not what God requires only from us. So when we understand Jesus for ourselves and choose to believe, choose to believe he is who he says he is, we will feel less fearful to ask him honest questions from our heart. And I say honest questions, but I even mean praying hard prayers. We won't have to censor ourselves if we realize we don't have to be afraid of Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of what he might reveal to us. We can bring hard questions to him. We can bring heartfelt questions. We can bring relationship questions to him. And he will be there. But we have to get over this fear of the unknown and the darkness and what the answers may be, or maybe it's silence. But we have to learn how to push through to believe who he is, who he says he is. Like I said earlier, Nicodemus really sought Jesus for answers to his his own situation, and he learned that in that moment, acting religious and knowing scripture and all this wisdom was not going to get him entrance into heaven. Everything he knew in that moment with Jesus got flipped upside down. And I think we go through lives in moments that everything we think or everything that we thought we learned, they get flipped upside down. See, It wasn't just a conversation between a teacher and a teacher. Nicodemus had to realize it was a conversation between a teacher and a savior. Because we all need a savior. And even though Nicodemus was the, the he was the man. Let's just say that. He was the man in Jerusalem. People respected him. He was wealthy, all that stuff. But he wasn't just having a conversation with another teacher. He was having a conversation with the Savior of the universe. All that knowledge, all that wisdom, all that respect. Yet Jesus looks at Nicodemus. And once again, I'm going to ad-lib a little bit here. And he doesn't say just that you need to grow up. You need to grow up. Mm -mm. He says you got to start over you got to start over as a spiritual infant. All you've done so far, I'm sorry, buddy, but it's for naught. You've got to start over as a spiritual infant and had to be born again. Because you see, being born again is not just about trying harder. But being born again is about starting over. Being born again is not about trying harder. Being born again is about starting over. And starting over can be really hard. Starting over, I don't know if any of you have ever moved to a city, starting over, not knowing anyone. But it can feel so isolating and so, so discombobulated. But I'm telling you, God shows up in the darkness and the uncertainty that comes when we start over. There was a stirring in our hearts to start over. Whenever you decided that you wanted to be born again, you wanted to, 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 
pray and accept the Lord as your, your Savior, salvation. There was some type of stirring in your heart that led you to that decision. And there's a stirring in our hearts even now, especially when we are in dark times, dark moments of life, the night seasons of life. There's a poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. That, that phrase is used very often, but it should be, it comes from a poem by St. John of the Cross. And often, whenever that poem is written or that phrase is used, it is used to talk about a depressive feeling, a low type of emotional state, but Honestly, it's so much deeper than that. The poem actually narrates the mystical journey of the soul from its bodily home to its spiritual union with God. And in part, it goes like this. One dark night filled with love's urgent longings, all the sheer grace, I went unseen from my house being now all stilled. There was no other light or guide than the one that burned in my heart. And this guided me more surely than the light of the noon to where he was awaiting me. Him that somehow I knew so well. And there in a place where no one but we appeared. See, family, the same inner stirring of love that pushed Nicodemus, from his certainties, is still working in each one of us. It's still working. We've just got to learn how to listen to that stirring and allow that stirring to go from just a little nudge, just a little thought, to stirring that wells up inside of us. And we say, there must be more. God, I want more of you. I need more of you. I have to have more of you in my life. It's a stirring that calls each one of us to be reborn in life, regardless of how old we are, where we are in life, our position, how set in our ways, like Nicodemus was. It's a stirring to have an honest, face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus. To trust that Jesus is working in your darkness. Even when you don't recognize it in your head, even when you don't understand it, it doesn't line up with all of the education you have, all the wisdom, all of the, the accolades you have. It doesn't line up. But in that moment, we have to trust that God is who he says he is. That he has our good in mind. And we have to feel it from our hearts. And that was the thing that Nicodemus had to learn that night. He had so much wisdom, had so much certainty. He was just going with what his head said when the truth was. He had to feel and discern with his heart what the Lord was doing. I'd like us to do a momentary practice um, this morning if you guys can kind of sit up straight 
in your chairs. And y'all, I would like for you to turn off all of the lights that you can. I know we can't turn off the runner lights on the stairs, but that's fine. But I want to try to get as much darkness in this room as possible. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. I would love for you for a couple minutes to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what conversations and what prayers you are not having with Jesus because of fear of where it may lead. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you what conversations, what type of prayers you are not having and trusting Jesus with because of fear of not knowing where it may lead. Let's take a few minutes and think about that.
this morning, I don't want to leave y'all in the dark. I mentioned I would touch on the two other places briefly where Nicodemus is mentioned. In one place in John, it's whenever he's at the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin's talking about arresting Jesus. And he says, wait, 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 wait. Wait just a second, guys. He says, don't you think that we should give this man a fair trial first? So he stepped out and he stirred the pot. They were just ready to arrest him. But he said, let's stop and think for a minute. Don't you think we should give him a fair shot at a trial? And then the next place at the end of John, he shows up after the crucifixion. And he's there with Joseph of Arimathea, who many people also think was a Pharisee and perhaps part of the Sanhedrin. And these two men who had so much to lose, had so much to lose, it's obvious that the veil had been lifted and the darkness had been removed from their eyes. Because they go and they claim Jesus' body. These two men, teachers, well-respected men, and they take Jesus and they bury him, them. But not only do they bury them, Nicodemus shows up and he gives the answer for all to see. That's why I said the man wasn't a coward. He gives an answer for all to see whenever he shows up with pounds and pounds and pounds of herbs and spices and oils to bury Jesus. It gives the information on the actual pounds. But the only time that someone would get that much oil and that much spices for a burial is if they were royalty. So it's very clear that Nicodemus came to his senses. He walked out of the darkness and into the light. And he said for all to see, everyone, this man's my king. This man is the one that we've been looking for. And I can't even imagine the emotions that came because he had had this realization that flipped his world upside down. But he showed for all to see that he was born again. He had stepped out of darkness into the light and was proclaiming in front of everyone that Jesus is King. And this morning, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this or not, but Holy Spirit was just really urging me. I know that many of you in this room are born again. I know that also many of you in this room are going through darkness. You have uncertainty. You're not sure what's next in life. You've got questions. You've got hard questions that you're scared to bring to the Father because you're not sure what the answers might reveal. You're not sure what the answers might reveal about yourself. Things that you have to get rid of. The way Nicodemus had to get rid of all this religion that he had. And he had to start over. So this morning, I would ask for you to ask yourself in Holy Spirit. First off, have I really given my heart to the Lord? Have I been truly born again? Have I started over? Have I put everything from a, another time of my life and replaced it 
with the desire to follow Jesus out of the darkness and into the light. And if your answer is no, that you're not so sure about that, we have people, leaders at each side of the platform here who would love to pray with you. And also, if you have a darkness that you're dealing with right now, that maybe you haven't even admitted to yourself until this morning, that you've been holding back from the Lord, you've kept this little thing to the side, we have leaders and elders who would love to pray with you and help lead you through the steps to release that darkness to the Lord because the Lord is there in the thick darkness and he wants to meet you there. And so, like I said, if you feel like that you, maybe you, you felt like you were born again, but whenever you're thinking about what that really means and what that entails, it doesn't just mean trying harder and doing better, but it means starting over. And maybe you've realized I'm not really born again and I want to be. We've got people who would love to pray with you. And if you have any darkness that you want the Lord to shine his Holy Spirit light on, they're there to pray for you as well. And I'm going to pray us out. And I'm just going to give you a few moments to sit in your seat and, and search your heart and say, Lord, have I started over or have I just added you on to my life? Have I just added you on to my life as a great teacher whose rules I'm following and whose word I'm following? Or have I actually made you my savior? Because it's not just a conversation with a teacher. It's a conversation with the savior of your soul. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal and put a light on any darkness that you need help praying through this morning. And our elders are so ready to be there for you. And I'm gonna pray and just ask the Holy Spirit illuminate in this room. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We worship you and we ask that you come and rest on us this morning. That not only is there a sermon in this moment that we're hearing and learning, but that we take this sermon into our everyday life. And we say, God, help us, help us, God, not just to try to understand with our head and the things that we've learned and the things that we're certain about or the things we have understanding about. But help us to discern with our hearts what you want to do. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that have held back part of who they are because they're scared of that darkness. They're scared to pray about it. They're scared to ask you hard questions. But Lord, I ask that today that they're willing to let your amazing light shine down in their hearts and reveal to them and reveal to them that they don't have to do it alone 
that there are people here that love them and who love the Lord, who are willing to help them walk through asking you those hard questions and bringing those hard prayers to you, God. And I ask you, Lord, for those of us who really are questioning, have I just been following Jesus as a great teacher and just making him an add-on to my life? If you've questioned that this morning, I implore you to come and pray with our elders and allow the Holy Spirit into your heart to start again. You don't have to try harder, family. You don't have to prove yourself. Holy Spirit, help us know it's not about behavior modification. It's about starting over and giving it to you and trusting you, not just with our heads, but with our hearts. When it's dark, when things are scary, that you are with us. of your people. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Help us discern with our hearts what you are trying to do in our lives. We're not afraid anymore. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to try harder. We just have to come to you in honesty, with an open heart, and with trust that you are changing us. You are constantly changing us. so honored and humbled by who you are that you sent your only begotten son because you loved us so much for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life I thank you Jesus taking a few more minutes to make space for the Holy Spirit. I'm never in a hurry whenever it comes to His presence. Lord, renew us every day. 
Help us to become born again every day. We are empowered by your spirit to start again anytime we need to. We thank you for that. We thank you for meeting us in our darkness. And I decree and I declare that we are no longer afraid of the darkness because God is there waiting for us in the darkness. As you go into this week, I pray that you continue to let Holy Spirit illuminate your heart to the things that you're holding back from the Lord because of the fear and the uncertainty of where it may lead. I think even some of you have, have felt the draw in your life right now that something has to change. Something's got to give, but you're not sure where that's going to lead. And so you've left God out of it. You've left him in the dark and he is drawing you to him because you're right. Something's got to give it. And the giver of life is the one who can show you what that is and what the next steps in your life are. This week, Lord, as we go into our week, we ask that your spirit continues to illuminate the darkness of our hearts, the darkness of our life, the darkness of our situations, that you give us the strength to recognize and to feel and, and not just understand with our heads, but truly feel and discern with our hearts what being born again means. It's not trying harder. It's not behavior modification. It's not being on a religious high horse. But it's starting over at the foot of the cross. Holy Spirit, I thank you for being here. Father God, I thank you for leading us. And sweet, sweet, sweet Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and being an example for us and for dying for us that we may have eternal life. In your precious holy name, God. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you in this week and every day of your life. May he make his face shine upon you. Go in peace. I love y'all. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.